Hey there, how you doing? My name is David, and I have the privilege of serving as the pastor of 6-8 Church here in Vancouver, Washington. What you're about to hear is a message from our Sunday morning gathering, and we hope it encourages and inspires you on your journey to be more like Christ. For more information about 6-8 Church, visit 6-8church.com. That's the number 6 and the number 8 church.com. When I was growing up, um, I, we lived in a town called Jackson, Ohio, and Jackson was actually 12 miles away from where our church was growing up in Oak Hill, Ohio. We went to Trinity Wesleyan Church in Oak Hill, Ohio. My dad was an associate pastor, did uh, music ministry most of his time there. And then after I went to college, he actually got into a, a bigger associate role doing more of the pastoral care as, as after I had left the house. But um, our, because it was 12 miles away, which in, I guess, in Midwestern times, in, in ancient times, like back in the day, a 12-mile gap was a big deal. I, I don't know, you know, if you remember that, if, you, if your parents were that way growing up, but, you know, living 12 miles away from something, you might as well have been living like two hours away because it made it really difficult to go. So we would go to church twice on Sunday, drive there before Sunday school, stay there for worship, come back home, go back for choir practice, come back home later in the evening. And we often wouldn't go on Wednesday, though my dad would usually go and record, this will tell you the kind of, the kind of place it was, record the winning Wesleyan way. And he would go into the sound booth at the church and, and he would take some of the special music recordings that the people had sung at the church and he'd take a little clip out of the pastor's sermon and he would kind of put it all together in a half hour format and he would kind of host the half hour of the winning Wesleyan Way. And then on Sunday mornings at 7.30, I think, or 8 o'clock on Sunday mornings, that would be aired on 96.7 WKOVFM. And we tune in and hear ourselves sing on the radio. But because of the distance between our house and the church, oftentimes us kids didn't go to church on Wednesday evenings. But for a while, there was a season when an older couple at the church who also lived in Jackson but drove to Trinity Wesleyan Church in Oak Hill, Ohio, offered to stop and pick me up so I could go to what we called CYC. It was kind of like Awana, but we were in a Wesleyan church, so they called it CYC. And they would take us there. And I remember this, this one time, it kind of came back to me this week when I was uh, leading the choir rehearsal this last Monday with, with the kids. And um, I remember we were talking about glasses and things getting on your glasses and it be hard, being hard to see when, when you get junk on your glasses. And, and we're driving behind this older lady. It's already an old couple, but we're driving behind an older lady on this old two-lane, you know, winding road, Highway 93. And, and we're kind of riding the tail of this older lady. And she keeps washing her windshield. Just keeps washing her windshield over and over and over again. It's not raining. It's a perfectly sunny day, but she keeps washing her windshield. And she does it, you know, for probably three, four, five miles until the guy that we were riding with, he leans over to his wife and says, she's got dirt on her glasses and thinks it's on the windshield and keeps trying to wash it off. I don't know if you've noticed, but headlights are getting ridiculously bright. Anyone remember, anyone paying attention to headlights getting bright? 
So we live out in the country. If you've been out there, you know we live out a ways. And one of the things that's getting really hard for me is that um, headlights are really bright. It seems like people don't dim their lights anymore. And so sometimes I have to put on my brights, not to be mean, but it's just because their lights are so bright, I can't see the road without my bright lights. So I have to turn on my brights and they think I'm being a jerk, but I'm just really trying to drive. And then out where we live, we've got some, uh, some, some, some guys that drive these big, you know, jacked up four-wheel drive trucks, right? And they're, you know, they sit up off the ground about this high. And up where, up on our road, Grinnell Road, there's another logging road called the GM 1000. And the GM 1000 is where a lot of um, guys, I can't think of a nice way to put it and not demean them, but they go up there and they drink beer and they push cars over the cliff and they shoot guns. And so, um, but a lot of the guys that go up there and do those things have started adding these LED light bars to their trucks. Has anyone seen these? They're like these, these huge, ridiculous light bars, and every once in a while, they'll be coming down, and they just assume nobody lives up there. And so I'll be coming home, and they'll be coming down the mountain and just get blinded, just blinded by it. And I turn on my brights, and I still, even with my brights, I cannot see past where their lights are blinding me because it's just so bright. Another thing that happens when I'm driving home is that sometimes I'll have my phone up up in the dash, right, kind of sitting in, in the holder that we've got, one of those suction cup holders on the windshield, and I'll have my phone sitting up there, and especially on Grinnell Road, there's no street lights, there's no nothing. It's just, it's just pitch black except for the lights on the car, and be driving along, and, you know, somebody sends me a text, and my phone lights up, and it's just like blinding. You know, just, you can't see through the darkness because you've got this light right in your face, and then I noticed this a couple of nights ago when we got home, we, we pull into the driveway and as we pull into the driveway, the motion light on the house goes off. And this last week in particular with the nice clear sunny days and we would go through and, and every night when we're coming home, I'd tell the kids, look up at the stars, get out of the car, look, look up at the stars, make sure you look up at the stars. And if we were getting out of the car that didn't trigger the motion light, you could, you, could see the, you could see the Milky Way, which is going at a different angle this time of year. And, and you can see the Big Dipper, and you can see a galaxy over here that I don't know what it's called. And you can see Orion's Belt. And you can see just all of these constellations just all over the sky. But, but if you come in with the Suburban and you trip the floodlight... It's really hard to see as many stars. You have, to, you have to go around the house where you don't have the light blocking the stars. To a smaller, a smaller light, the floodlight, it's a 100-watt floodlight, but a smaller light pointed at your face can block out the bigger, brighter lights. Just like your smartphone when you're driving in the car and you get an, a you know, notification, you've got it up on your windshield at night. It's much smaller. I mean, the lumens of your phone compared to the lumens of your headlights are, are ridiculous in comparison. But, but if you've got that phone close to your face and somebody sends you a message and it lights up, the light, because it's close to your face, can block out the bigger, brighter lights. 1 John chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. Dear friends, 
since God so loved us. That should take you back to John 3.16, where, where John also said, God so loved the world, in this way loved the world. God loved the world in this way, that he sent his only son to die on the cross for us. Dear friends, since God in this way loved us, we also ought to love one another. Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. I don't want to put words in the Apostle John's mouth, but it sure seems like he's alluding to at least the idea that though no one has ever seen all of the fullness of God's glory, though we have never seen God's face, it seems like John is saying, if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And, and if we love one another, then it's almost like we see God. Not all of God, obviously, but we start to see who God is. And so what if we, as a church, just became love so much so if we became this kind of love, that, that when people come here on a Sunday morning, which they are going to come over the next several weeks, and especially on Easter Sunday, people will be coming to our doors to, to learn about Jesus and, and to see what it is that makes 6-8 Church so unique. And, and what if, though, when they come here and they gather here, the people come and, and they, what if they almost, what if they saw God himself? I mean, what if we loved one another so radically, so sacrificially and so selflessly that, that it even caught us off guard, that we, we were just kind of astounded by the way we were loving one another? And what if, what if we, not just as individuals, not just in isolated incidents, but as a collective, as a group, as the body of Christ, that God is assembling here at 6-8 Church, at this outpost for the mission that he's given us here in this community and in this part of Vancouver and in this part of Clark County, what if we came together as the body of Christ and we became such an expression of God's love that, that when people walked through our doors on a Sunday or on a Tuesday or on a Thursday that they felt themselves come to life in a way they've never experienced because when you come close to the love of God, it changes you. I was kind of expecting an amen there. So feel free to throw one out once in a while because I think that would be amazing if people just experienced firsthand the tangible love of God in our midst. What do we need to do to get there? How do we get to that point? Well, we got to, I think, go back in 1 John a little bit. So I want to work our way through a little bit of 1 John chapter 3. We're not going to cover the whole thing. We did a whole series on 1 John years ago. I uh, would love for you to go check it out if you want to go see it. But we're going to go back to 1 John chapter 3 and work our way through some of these key verses. And, and that'll help set the stage for what, one of the things, the starting thing I think we need to do in connection with Lent to become love. 1 John 3, verse 1. 
See what great love the Father has lavished on us, though we should be called children of God. That is what we are. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. We, if you've been doing any of the Bible reading over the course of this last week, we read through Romans chapter 13 where Paul was talking about wild olive branches being grafted into the olive tree. And that is us. We did not have a place in the family of God. We did not have a right to be in the tree of God. And yet God grafts us in. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. This is an astounding reality for the believer. We are the children of God. We are his sons. We are his daughters, like we just sang about. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. You ever feel like an outcast? You ever feel like no one really understands you? No one really gets you? You just kind of feel like you're sitting on the outside of the world all the time? I feel like that. The reason the world doesn't know you is because it doesn't know Jesus. And if you're becoming like Christ, you are becoming more and more an alien, as Paul would say. We're being separated out from this sinful world. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. There is a whole lot of yet still to come, and we should be looking forward to with anticipation and excitement that there is a day coming. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. We shall see him as he is. When Christ appears, we shall be like him. Do you remember what he was like after the resurrection? I mean, he had all of this ridiculous power in his body that we, that we just have no concept for. I mean, he could teleport, apparently. He could walk through walls. He could move as freely around the world as he wanted to. He had this ridiculous physical body, and when he appears, we are going to be like him. Verse 3, all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Now see, it was going so good until we had to get to that, like, can we just, can we just, I mean, God loves us, 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 and I believe God loves us, God loves us, he loves you, he loves me, he loves us. Dear friends, God absolutely love us, but dear friends, followers of Jesus Christ and family at 6-8 Church, all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. So the reason for his coming was to take away the lawlessness in which we're living. In him is no sin. Verse 6. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who lives in Jesus Christ keeps on embracing sin because we have put that to death. We have been set free from that. And now we have been raised to this new life in Jesus Christ. So we do not choose to embrace the death that we've been set free from. Instead, we are constantly moving towards the life of Jesus Christ that he has for us. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. <clears throat> No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. It's getting awkward. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. 
The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he, Christ, is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. It would seem that with sin, we're making an either-or choice. This is not to bring any kind of guilt on anyone. We're going to explain this. But it seems like when we choose to sin, we keep embracing the devil's side. When we choose to reject sin and embrace Christ, we are choosing Christ's side. And if you remember that line that we talked about several weeks ago, like imagine all of your life <coughs> represented on, on, on a line <coughs> that goes straight down amongst us. And on, on this side of the line, you're just kind of standing here and you're looking towards sin, you're looking towards the world and the system of the world which rejects and is opposed to Christ and to God. And on this side of the line, you're looking at Christ and you're looking at God. And our whole lives, we're walking down this line. And as we go down this line, we are constantly faced with choices. Do we stop and turn Christ or do we stop and turn towards sin? Do we stop and turn towards God's life or do we turn towards the enemy's death? And our whole lives, we're just kind of constantly making this choice. Which way are we going to be turned? We cannot be turned towards sin and Christ at the same time. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So here's the really good news. The work of the devil and standing on this side of the line has absolutely no power in the life of the believer. So there's, there is no reason we have to give in to this side of the line at any time. We have the power in Christ and the resurrected power of Christ to stand on the correct side of the line and look at Christ and have our backs turned towards sin because that's what Jesus came to do. He has destroyed fully and completely the works of the devil. And no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. You cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. You can't go on sinning when you have the seed of life growing up in your heart. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. Jump down to verse 24. This is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. I'm still grappling with the enormity of of that truth. It's something that I try to grow into more and more every single day, every single time I'm praying, that I want to know more of the spirit he gave us. I want to experience more of his presence and reality in my life. The spirit, I mean, in contrast to every other world religion, there is no religion where the spirit of the God of that religion actually comes and lives in you and helps you do the things that that religion requires of you. For us, it's a marker, it's a testimony to our hearts that we have the spirit of the resurrected Christ living in us 
And we know that because we have the Spirit living in us, that Spirit wants to lead us towards God's right and away from the devil's wrong. The Spirit He gave us is in us. 1 John chapter 4. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Discern between the spirits, test between the spirits, and every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. Again, it seems to be an either-or. Either a spirit agrees that Jesus has come in the flesh and he is the Son of God, or it doesn't. And if the Spirit does not acknowledge that Jesus is from God, this is not the Spirit that we want to have living or residing in our heads, in our minds, in our hearts. This is the Spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. We'll get into that in just a minute. Don't freak out. <clears throat> you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. Overcome who? Overcome what? The Spirit's. We have overcome the spirits of the Antichrist that are in the world, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And we sing about that all the time. Love that song. They, those spirits who are opposed to Christ, are from the world, and therefore they speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. Those are the spirits who are of the world, the system that is under the control of Satan himself and is opposed to God and everything God does and Jesus and everything Christ does and the spirit and everything the spirit wants to do. We, on the other hand, verse 6, are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. All of God's children have the spirit, the Holy Spirit living in them, the spirit that resurrected Christ from the dead, the spirit that is in our hearts crying out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father, Dada, Father, is desperately seeking to draw us back into the Father's presence and into the Father's arms, away from the harm and away from the sin that we once lived in. This is the spirit that is living in us. This is the spirit that cries out within us. But are we listening to it? Do we listen to his spirit when his spirit wants to lead us away from a sinful choice when we're seeking to embrace death and the spirit cries out, um, that's not who you are, don't go there, don't do that. Do we turn towards Christ or do we continue to embrace the wrong spirit? He starts off in, in verse 1 of this chapter, do not believe every spirit. Many false prophets have gone out into the world, and then he says the spirit of the Antichrist. We've said the world already is a system that is opposed to God. That is what, that is what John means when he uses the idea of the world. He's talking about the system that is in opposition to God, which is under the control of the devil. 
Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, it's incredibly important that we understand that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. He was not just a spirit. It was not just an idea. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came in the flesh and died in the flesh and was resurrected in the flesh and ascended in the flesh and is seated at the right hand of the Father in the flesh. The world does not accept that. The world denies that that is actually what happened. And they'll say, well, he, you know, maybe he was just kind of, Jesus was just kind of a nice idea that a whole bunch of people, and it was just the spirit of Christ, not the body of Christ. Or, or they will say that he was a nice teacher, and maybe he was even a prophet, but he was not God's son. It was not God in the flesh who came and dwelt amongst us and tabernacled amongst us. It's just a, it's just a good guy who did some good things and set up a good system for people to follow. That's the spirit of the Antichrist. This, by the way, is a spirit that has been in the world for at least a couple thousand years. John is writing at the very beginning of the church, probably around, I don't know, 70 or 80 AD was when this letter was written. Maybe a little bit later than that, but not much because he didn't live much longer than that. So for almost 2,000 years, the spirit of the Antichrist has been on the earth actively opposing Christ. Now there is going to come a day when, when there is what we call the Antichrist. That is how I refer to it. The Antichrist, and that's what, you know, kind of the two beasts in Revelation, the first beast comes, and then the second beast comes, and, and then the second beast animates, kind of does some audio animatronics for an idol, and this idol becomes a, an idol that's talking, and so this demon is doing all this thing. That is the Antichrist, that's the one that 666 or 616 or whatever, you know, translation you're reading, but is all about, and the one that everyone's going to bow down and worship, and, and all of that stuff. That is what, you know, the Antichrist, but the spirit of the Antichrist is in the earth and actively opposing God. And so what is going on in our country right now and all of the opposition not only to God, but, but to one another and the division and the divisiveness and the hate and the spite that is going on is a spiritual battle that is being perpetrated by the Antichrist could be really easy to hear this sermon and think I'm like some kind of weird, you know, end times are right now, and, uh, you know, nobody knows when, the, when Jesus is coming back. So it might be right now, it could be 7,000 years from now, who knows? But there are some interesting things we're going to get to in just a second. You us, followers of Jesus Christ, anyone who's put their faith in Jesus Christ, are from God. It means we're looking this way. We're looking at Jesus. We're looking towards the eternal Father, metaphorically speaking, looking this way. The one who is in us is greater than the one who's in the world. So as we go down this line, the one who is in us, though there may be a spirit on the other side of this line who's constantly throwing temptations up in front of our eyes, in front of our face to get us to turn this way, the one who is in us is greater than the one who's in the world. So no matter what the world throws at us, we don't have to turn around and look. We can keep our eyes focused on Christ as we go down the line. 
greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Tyler Stanton, a pastor in Brooklyn, said this. He said, in order to minister to the people of Brooklyn, we have to free ourselves from the idols of Brooklyn. Their church last year for Lent did what they called the New Nazarite Vow, and they did a really extreme fast, one that I think if I suggested to us, you'd probably all throw things at me. <laughs> they, they, I mean, they, they gave up all social media, all devices, all TV, you know, all, all kind of content that might come into their homes from the world. They spent a ridiculous amount of time praying and seeking God's face. But ever since I heard that, it really, really resonated with me that if we want to be able to minister to the people of Vancouver... If we want to be able to minister to the people of Hazeldell, I mean, if, if we just want to be able to minister to the people on Ninth Avenue who are on this side of the line, going this way throughout their lives, constantly looking at what the world has to offer, it's going to be really really hard for us to do that if we're going down the same line looking the same direction right John said we have to purify ourselves all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure I've preached on this probably a hundred times but we have to start testing the spirits. If we're going to become love, we have to test the spirits that, that we're listening to. We, we have to start paying attention to the voices that, that, that command so much of our time and our energy and our attention on a day-in, day-out basis. If we're going to become love, if we're going to be the actual physical, tangible representation of the presence of God on this earth, we have to be set free from the idols of this time. And right now, there are literally millions and millions of lights shining in our faces on a day-in, day-out basis. There are millions of lights shining into our lives as we drive throughout our lives on a daily basis. There, there are lights all around us. Some of them just illuminate the room. Others actually have an anti-Christ agenda, and they're actively trying to lead us away from Christ and towards the world's system. I mean, do you... Do you really think that all of these guys are anti-Christ? I mean, do you think, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook and Amazon and, you know, and all of these things we spend so much of our time on, Netflix and Hulu and video games and, and all of these things, do you, do you really, David, do you really think that those are anti-Christ? Is that what you're saying? 
I have to be careful here because I watch some of those things. Yeah. I do. And I think right now, the condition of so many hearts, of so many believers in our country is right now, the enemy's got so many hooks in our hearts. And I think, I, I think there are some followers of Jesus Christ that wholeheartedly want to turn towards Christ every moment of the day, but we have not stopped to consider just how many hooks are in our hearts. And, and though we want to pull towards Christ, the, the hooks just kind of have their way and they turn us around and, and fight against us. And, and we want to work towards Christ, but they just keep pulling us over until we turn towards the world. We're called to be holy. The word itself actually means set apart, means different. It means out of the profane, out of the, the rebellious nature. It's, it's totally set apart from anything we could ever imagine. The word holy is, is totally out. It's totally different. It's just totally set apart. First Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 16, Peter says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. With minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace. In other words, it's not this thing that Jesus does to us against our will. It is not this thing that the Spirit will force on us. It is something that we have to make an active choice that we are going to choose Christ in everything. That with minds that are fully alert, we go through this life, we go down this line, every single step of the way, and our, our minds are fully alert that is this a choice of God or is this a choice of the world? Is this a choice for God or is this a choice for the world? Is this a choice for God or is this a choice for the world? And every single step of the way, I'm going to stop and I'm going to let my mind, which is fully alert and sober and not intoxicated by anything that this life has to offer, I'm going to make the decision to turn towards Christ because I'm holy and I'm set apart. Verse 14 of 1 Peter chapter 1, as obedient children... Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. For being honest, I think every single one of us, myself included, I am not on a pedestal in any way, shape, or form. I'm just bringing the message I feel God has put on my heart for us today. Every single one of us have too many lights of the world shining in our faces. Our faces are illuminated with darkness and we have darkness pouring into our souls and it's ravishing us from the inside and it's totally taking anything that God wants to do and making us contrary to his way. 
And even though these lights pale by an infinite degree to, the, to God's light, I mean, there, there is no light that can shine. There is no light of the darkness of this world, of the spirit of this age that can shine into our face, that can even come close to comparing to the light of God. But just because we're so close to it, we don't even realize that we're drawn into the horrid nature of the death that is all around us. Nothing could compete with God's light. But we get distracted because it's so close. Jim and I have talked a couple of times, you know, over lunches here in the office about how things that are described in the book of Revelation seem, you know, that seemed completely impossible years ago are actual realities now. You know, that, that the whole world would be speaking one language and that there'd be a way to, to communicate in the end times with the entire world at one time in a way that the entire world could understand. It just seemed totally implausible, right? Because there are so many languages and there are so many dialects and there are so many different things that you have to take into consideration when you're translating. So it just seemed impossible. It seemed like it couldn't happen. And yet, because of technology, because of these little screens of hell in our pockets, it's possible. We can, we can at the food pantry translate into languages that we don't speak and communicate with people from around the world. That didn't seem possible, but now it is. And now, in the world that we live in at this moment, the idea of the great falling away, that there would be millions, just masses, amounts of followers of Jesus Christ that would fall away, it just seemed like that would never happen. You know, we live in this American context, and, and we're just so supportive of Christianity for so long, and it just seems like there was no way that anything was going to tip that upside down, and yet now as we stand, it looks like the bottom is about to fall out from underneath the church, and it looks like there could be, in fact, a great falling away. But do you know how I think that happened? I, I, don't think, I don't think the enemy came to somebody who's walking full on, full steam ahead towards Christ with all of the confidence that comes with Christ and they're making every decision, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And the enemy comes and stands in front of them and says, um, hey, I got this really cool thing over here. And they're like, oh, that's awesome. And they just go. I, I think what happens is, just the accumulation of dots on the wrong side of the line over time. It's like Jesus, Jesus, Jesus world. Jesus, 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 Jesus world. Jesus, Jesus world. Jesus world, Jesus world, 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 Jesus world, world, Jesus world, 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 Jesus world, 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 world. And we've drifted away from Christ to the point where we don't even consider him anymore. This is the spirit of the Antichrist that is in the world today. This is the spirit of the Antichrist that is actively seeking to pull Christians off from the church and to get their minds focused on anything but Jesus. 
And if we as followers of Jesus Christ are going to have any hope of reaching people who are constantly bowing to the idols of this age, we've got to be set free. We can't be under the control of the idols of this age if we're bringing freedom to people who are captivated by the same things who we're captured by. We've got to be free. We've got to be free. We've got to be free. I've said before, whatever consumes my attention and my affection is what I worship. The ratio of time for the above average Christian that the Christian spends in active devotion to God is 32 to 1. I went back and I revisited that number because I'm working on finishing out that book like Christ so I can sell it hopefully maybe to a person like my mom. And um, I've been working, I went back and redid the numbers. She's the one that supports me and does all, you know, she buys all my stuff. She bought the book, you know, she's just, you know, she's a great mom. Um, but, um, and she's probably listening. Hi, mom, love you. Happy Sunday. They listen every Sunday on Facebook. But um, working on that, and I went back through the numbers. You know, the Nielsen study says that the average American consumes 11 hours of media content per day. 11 hours of media content per day. 11 hours of media content per day. 11 60-minute segments of media content per day. 660 minutes of media content per day. The average American consumes 11 hours of media content per day. The, av the above average Christian spends 15 minutes a day in God's Word. Above average, across the board, around the country, in the Western Hemisphere, the above average Christian. You know what I did to get to the number 32 to 1? I knocked the 11 down to 8. So I should, we're above average. We don't spend 11 hours a day in front of the TV, on our phones, on our computers, and all of the things. You know, we're above average, so 30. The, that, is, that is a false number. 32 to 1. For every minute we're spending with Christ, we're spending 32 minutes under the influence of the Antichrist. I cannot express to you the weight that I feel God has put on me with this message and for our church and for this time. We have got to get free. We've got to start taking this seriously. We've got to start realizing that the enemy is moving and it's subtle and we're not paying attention, but the enemy has totally sucked us in to the tune of 11 hours a day that we're rejecting Christ and turning towards the world's ways. Whatever consumes my attention and my affection is what I worship. We say we have no idols. 11 hours a day? There is no religious system on the planet that expects 11 hours of devotion a day from its followers. Did you know that? To my knowledge, they, they have prayer times maybe, you know, five times a day in some of the Eastern religions. Some of them have a sixth in the middle of the night, and they have to get up and pray. Six times of prayer, and, you know, they may have to go and pray for 10, 15 minutes if they're really devoted. Maybe longer. 
No other religious system on the planet requires 11 hours a day, and yet we are bowing to the lights of darkness in our time to the tune of 11 hours a day. God help us. Whatever consumes my attention and my affection is what I worship. Either we're going to allow God to consume the idols in our hearts by drawing near to him, which I fully believe that's what he wants to do. James says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. The absolute promise of scripture is that if we draw near to God, God will draw near to us. There is no, there is nothing that can take away from the fact that we're stepping towards God. And if we step towards God, I think what he does is he does this great big giant leap towards us because he's God and he comes so much further than we ever go towards him. James says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. That is the promise of scripture. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And as we draw near to Christ, as we draw near to God, because he is holy, because he is totally other than us, because he's totally set apart and totally different from anything we could ever understand on this earth, because he is that, the closer we get to him, the more his holiness consumes the unholiness in our lives. That as he draws us into deeper relationship with him and we find ourselves pulled into his life, that whatever is in us that is death is going to be burned up and consumed by the holiness of God. I believe with all my heart that's what he wants to do. Will we allow ourselves to draw near to God and allow him to consume all the unholiness in us? Or will we be constantly consumed with the idols of this age? Will our hearts, will our attitudes be consumed with this world and the Antichrist and the spirit? There's a spiritual battle that is raging in our country right now. There is a spiritual battle that is being fought and we're, not, we're just oblivious. And I'm, we're praying every single Sunday. I would love for you to come and join us to pray from 9.15 to 9.45 here in this room. We're going to be closing off the doors. We're going to set the mood as best we can to make it a context that's good for prayer. But part of that prayer, what I'm doing, we pray, you know, we might pray in circles. If you need prayer, the elders will be here and you can get prayer from the elders. That's what, uh, that's what James says, to call the elders of the church together and have them pray over you. We'd love to pray over you if you need prayer during that time. But, but I'm just going to be praying and I'm just going to be, I'm going to be here during that time. And I'm just dedicated and devoted to praying for God to come and manifest his presence here in a way that we have never experienced, that we're so struck by his power. That, that we are changed and that, that he would just start to show up here in ways that we have never known before and, and, and that, that maybe God would just choose us and we'd be a part of this awakening, this revival that he wants to bring and he wants to stir and bring back to life his church here in Vancouver and maybe we could just be just a little bit a part of that and we could just play just this little tiny role in what God has for us but we, but we could just experience God's tangible presence in our midst and but what, but what has to happen, I think, is that God wants to be wanted. Do we want God's presence, or do, are we just kind of satisfied with the presence of, of his, you know, his, just he's here. He's just here all the time. God's everywhere. There's nowhere he can get. But what, what the times when he shows up in a different way? I want, I want to be a part of that. 
But to do that, we we got to start working on uh, our devotion. So for this first week of Lent, it's only half a week. It starts on Wednesday. You can start today. You can start tomorrow if you want. Here's what I'm asking. I'm not requiring. I'm not commanding. I'm not demanding. You have total agency in this decision. It is up to you. I will not be trying to force a single person to do this, but I'm asking. Ready for it? It's big. It's a big request. Can you find five minutes? Can you find five minutes that you normally spend goofing off playing Candy Crush or whatever the game is now, or TikTok, I don't know, I don't, I don't do any of that stuff on my phone. Can, can you find one thing? Can we, as a body of Christ, find one five-minute thing that we're going to say, I'm, I'm giving that up. I'm done with that, and I'm going to spend five minutes with God. So I told you, it was a big request. The reason I'm starting at five minutes, we've never done Lent before. We've never done anything really remotely close to having to sacrifice something, fasting. I'm going to be working us towards that, I hope. For anyone who chooses to participate, we're going to be increasing what we're giving up over the next seven weeks before Easter. We're going to start here, and I'm hoping that we can start small enough that we can, we can just experience the win of having given up something to spend that time with God. Maybe you're further than that. Maybe, maybe you're at a point in your life where you can give up something. You can give up 30 minutes, maybe even an hour. You can give up an entire hour consumed to something else, and you can turn towards Christ for that hour. If you're there, go for it. But if you're not, five minutes. I mean, just five minutes. Can you imagine how it might change your life over the course of this next week if you just started spending five intentional moments with God that you weren't spending before? I mean, you're spending five minutes with the God of the universe, the eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, all-good, all-gracious God. You're spending five minutes with that God. Can you imagine how radical that might change your life if we just spent five more minutes per day with God? I think the change could be astounding. Do you, can you imagine how it might radically alter the DNA of our church if we came together next Sunday and we, we had spent an extra five minutes a day? A whole half hour with God over the course of the next week. Can you imagine what that might be like if, if, just, if just starting today we just gave an extra five minutes and we came together and it was like... What I experienced in that five minutes, is, it's kind of feels like this weird feeling, like it feels the same. It's like this weird, I don't, I don't know what's going on, like I felt like God was there and now I'm here with these other people who spent all this time with God and now it feels the same. It's like, you know what I think might happen? We might actually start to see God in our midst. Five minutes. What idol can we stop worshiping for five minutes this week? and give God that time. I'm not going to pass out a handout. I don't have any, nothing, no, no boards, 
No thermometers, nothing like that. It's between you and God. Can we give five minutes? Heavenly Father, by the power (coughs) that rose Jesus from the dead. From the God who is life and knows nothing of darkness, the God who knows, has never experienced death except for what Christ experienced. By that same power, God, I pray, bring to life in us, in this room, a holy passion for you. God, I pray by the power of the resurrected spirit of Jesus Christ and in the name of Christ that that you bring to every single one of us as individuals in this room, as temples of the Holy Spirit, as the dwelling place of the eternal God of the universe, that you bring to every single one of us a passion, a desire, a thirst, and a hunger that cannot be quenched for you, that, that we just find ourselves constantly drawn towards me, you in greater and greater ways, knowing you more, knowing you more, loving you more, experiencing you more, feeling you more, understanding you more. God, I pray, give us, give us just a, a hunger that we've never had before for you. And at the same time, as we want more hunger for you, God, I pray that you increase in our hearts the hatred for the Antichrist spirit that we have rebelled and embraced. And I pray, God, in Jesus' name, that you would give us the courage to start saying no to the things of this world and the things that are death. And we might start saying yes to the life and all the promises that are in Christ that are yes and amen. So, God, I pray stir deeply in us right now that we might actually, by being in your presence, not just as individuals, but as a corporate body of Jesus Christ, become love. God, let that be who we are. Let it just become so normal for our experience on a week-by-week basis that if anything were to ever happen to that, we would wonder, where did the love go? God, let us be so radically changed by you that that is our experience. I ask and pray these things in the name of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, 